0: Some of his thoughts on the unemployment, we kind of dipped into it. And then he also just talked about visualizing his success. If he ever imagined it being like this, and he just said, like, I just, I've always wanted to help people out. I've always liked the idea of the legal system and where it works and where it doesn't. And so, again, it's a quick 18 to 22 minute micro episode. We'll call it Joe Kenny III's micro golden hour. And I'm working with his team now to hopefully reschedule something long form that's not rushed. So I apologize Part of the growth, man. Part of the grind. Trying to document everything happening. And I'll uh, love you. Enjoy. And thank you to the research squad for being patient on this one. I know you guys were pumped about this. And I'm sorry it didn't exactly happen the way you wanted it to. All right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, you there? Joe. Hello?
1: Hey, you there?
0: I'm, I'm here, man. How are you?
1: Beautiful. We're good. We're good. Sorry, we're out in western Massachusetts, so I um, want to make sure that I'm calling in by phone, making sure that uh, if the sig- signal drops, hopefully the audio will at least hold.
0: You can hear me okay, though, correct?
1: Yep. I can hear you great.
0: How you been, man?
1: We're doing good. How are you?
0: Hustling. Are you with your team right now?
1: Yeah, we're um, out in, uh, in Western Massachusetts, we just, uh, we're in, well, we just passed through Stockbridge a little while ago, uh, off to the next stop, so got out and left to Boston about 5.45 or so this morning, and um, get back at about 10 o'clock tonight, so a good campaign day.
0: Okay, real quick question, I mean, real quick to start this off, can you give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do, it's what we do for most episodes?
1: Uh, my name is Joe Kennedy. I'm a member of Congress from the 4th District of Massachusetts, and I am a candidate for
0: U.S. Senate. So, listen, what has your day-to-day been like the past, like, two months? Are, are you, like, running on four hours of sleep, five, five hours of sleep? <laughs> uh,
1: there's not a, a ton of sleep at the moment. It's a, um well, look, we're 29 days out from uh, an election, and actually an election that starts later this week. Uh, as you know, the um, because of the um, pandemic, we have um, Massachusetts passed vote by mail, and so those ballots are going to get mailed out this week. And so votes will start getting counted for this election this week. And so this is, um, this is a month-long election, so it's a month-long sprint. And yeah, it means things are busy. Uh, and uh, you got about 45 hours of work, you got to fit into a 24-hour day. So not, a, not as much sleep but, uh, on the schedule as, as one might uh, hope, but certainly uh, not unexpected. And uh, doing exactly what uh, we should be doing, which is run our to the finish line and excited for what this means so that we can actually get out there and uh, make the case for folks um, in the way that we should have been doing months ago, but obviously uh, COVID-19 prevented.
0: Well, do you feel like you're at the point with such little sleep that you can still make effective decisions or are you just kind of riding on a dreadling right now?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we can uh, listen the uh, um certainly can still make effective decisions and and it's um i mean not a lot of sleep but I, candidly I, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep before this thing either and i got two little kids so for a while there you got none so we're doing just fine um but the days are busy as they should be right it's the final throws of a u.s senate race if you're if you wanted to sleep eight hours you don't get into this race right? or, or any race or or public office to begin with that it doesn't happen
0: you're a true alpha male baby let's go
1: <laughs> so it goes man right that that's uh I mean that's that's what you sign up for, and and again, if you're not willing to put that work in, then don't run for United States Senate.
0: I totally agree. And question: What's the team fueling you on right now? What are you doing for diet? Uh,
1: coffee.
0: A lot. That espresso shots in the coffee.
1: Of course, uh, but <laughs> it's basically uh, it's just it's pretty much pure caffeine. If it's not caffeinated, I don't drink it at this point. Uh, but, you know, again, so it goes, right? Um, that's what you're, uh, look, you're, uh, I'm, I believe, obviously, in the power of government to actually make a uh, difference in people's lives, I believe that we're at a critical time in our country, and I believe that our government's not doing nearly as much as it should. And I believe our current senator isn't doing nearly as much as he should. And so if you want to go out there and prove it, you need to go out there and prove it. And that means you better roll up your sleeves and jump on in and you're willing to throw everything you got at it. And, Listen, I'm willing to throw everything I got at it, right? Whether that's lack of sleep or, or uh, you know, every ounce of effort and energy that I got. We, um, you know, I, I gave up my, my seat in the House of Representatives and risked my political career for this because I believe at this time is so critical and, and, and crucial. And so, you know, you're going to throw everything you got at that if, that if that's the case. And I am.
0: Now, question We'll get into a little bit of policy real quick. So as you know, we have a pretty young listenership. And so I'm trying my best to angle the episode so that it's actually applicable to kids my age. And obviously defunding the police right now is a very popular topic. Can you kind of just explain where you're at with everything in terms of your ideas on defunding, what it kind of means and and what your plans are?
1: Yeah, so look, I think what... I think the way in which we police in this country uh, needs to be reformed. And uh, I think most folks actually agree with that. And I think one of the best examples of it is our mental and behavioral health system. The largest providers of mental and behavioral health care in our country are the jails in LA and Chicago. You talk to the sheriffs across Massachusetts and they'll tell you that between on any given night, between 80 and 90% of incarcerated individuals are suffering from mental behavioral illness or substance use disorder uh, in the jails in Massachusetts. And so, you know, the fact is that when somebody is, is struggling with mental behavioral illness, a lot of times people end up calling the cops. And when they call the police and, and the police get, get called out, what a police officer's remedy in that, what they can do is essentially arrest the person. And you arrest the person, you charge them with disorderly conduct or, or um, trespassing or you know, perhaps some more serious uh, crimes if there are in fact criminal violations, but we have criminalized mental illness in this country. And rather than treating it, rather than investing in the actual infrastructure of mental behavioral health care, rather than, look, 55% of the counties in our country, over half of all of the counties, do not have a single practicing psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker, not one. When 20% of Americans will suffer with mental behavioral health issues over the course of their life. One in five, almost, every, almost one in every family will, will have a mental, mental or behavioral health issue. And yet most of the counties, we don't have a single person to address it. And so we basically tell our law enforcement officers, hey, you guys solved that problem. And that's a, a massive misallocation of resources that isn't what police officers, they're not social workers, they're not trained to provide professional mental behavioral health care. But the lack of, in fact, investment, sustained systemic investment and strategic investment in mental behavioral health care means that we put that on the shoulders of police officers. So and that's to, not the right place for it to go.
0: So to simplify, you, th- you would propose a reallocation of some of the police funding to like a behavioral or a psychological? Psych-
1: I think that for interventions, upstream interventions, to make sure that we, don't, we are not actually... Um, you're not putting the burden on police to solve problems that are societal problems that aren't, I don't think, best uh, best solved by um, sending police officers out there and telling them that this is a law enforcement problem. And you know, I think uh, I think that's where those that that's how that money should be spent, and that's um, something that I've advocated for for um, a long time in terms of particularly the upfront investment in in mental health care.
0: How did that happen? How did it get to the point where police had to wear so many hats at one time?
1: Because you see um any pinching from um, from federal and state government, you see and particularly when it comes to mental behavioral health care, but these are um, oftentimes they're, they're patients that uh, are in the shadows. They are there's an associated stigma that comes with um, mental behavioral illness, right? No one when I talk crowds and I say, you know, how many of you know somebody or have a family member that has been stricken with cancer? Almost every hand in the crowd will go up. Every, almost every family knows has a family member that's had cancer. When you ask how many of you have a family member that's been uh, suffering with, with mental or behavioral illness, a few like hands will go up, but not nearly as many. Um, when the numbers say almost every hand should go up too, and there's still a stigma associated with it, there's still a stigma that comes with stepping forward. But if folks aren't stepping forward, it means that they're not, the advocacy community around it isn't gonna step forward. And when that advocacy community isn't isn't uh, there, it means that when federal and state budgets are allocated, and there's that old adage that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, when people are coming up and, and talking about, uh, particularly when limited resources are limited, where's the money gonna go? But it goes in part to where where people are, are clamoring for it to go. And when that happens, you, if if there's not a a big push to address these um, big structural issues, and look, mental health care is expensive. And so folks say, hey, you know, there's not a big clamor for it. People aren't um, pressuring us to do it. We can cut that and we can fund other pieces to this. But what happens, it's not that by not treating it or not funding prevention systems, it's not that people all of a sudden mysteriously get better. It's not that neglect makes people healthier. It's just the opposite. And so we end up criminalizing it and treating it as a criminal justice issue rather than a public health epidemic. And we have seen with COVID a very clear example as what happens when we don't actually try to address a public health epidemic. It festers and, and it it gets far worse. And that's what we've seen. And we've asked, you know, our, just like we've asked our essential workers and first responders to bear the brunt of a uh, COVID, COVID-19 pandemic, we've asked uh, law enforcement and first responders to bear the, the brunt of a... Um, a a public health, uh, a mental, structural, mental, behavioral health inadequacy. And the results are not
0: surprising. I'm, I'm so surprised you can be this eloquent out of four hours of sleep, man. You really are a politician. (laughs) You're born for this, man. So question, let's say I go, I go vote for Joey buckets, right? September 1st, I show up say, Hey, I'm voting for Joe, man. I'm with Joe. What, what would people expect your ideal police force to look like?
1: Look, I think you've got a, um, from my perspective, right, look, we, we obviously, we still, you need law enforcement officials, obviously, in, uh, in our communities. But what I think you need is you need to have um, communities that are um, in a law enforcement uh, system that is focused on um, the uh, addressing criminal behavior and far more investment in um, the Structural barriers there that actually can help prevent that criminal behavior from actually taking place in the first place again. So mental behavior health would be a big piece to that. Also, things like affordable housing. Um, Listen, I just left a homeless camp in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And
0: what what does that mean, a homeless camp?
1: It means people that are homeless and there's not enough shelters in the community to provide them a bed so they're living in the woods.
0: So like similar to like an L.A. underpass?
1: Yeah, it's literally tents and um, people uh, living in the woods because they've got no place else to go. Um, wow. A lot of the issues there that, that feed homelessness, one, it's, it's illness, it's um, criminal records, it's um, lack of educational opportunities and lack of education. And all of a sudden, these—you know it's not one thing that happens, but it's one and then another and then another. And then all of a sudden... Um, you got folks that are uh, in desperate need of help. And so what do you need to do? You need to start to try to get, you need to address those problems far before it becomes um, uh, the, the, the obviously critical nature that it is um, that, that I just saw in Pitchfield, or by the way, in the homeless camp that I saw uh, in Arlington a couple months ago. Um, you need to address that far upstream. And we need to do things like uh, folks get access again, mental behavioral health that they need, Make sure that folks get access to the educational opportunities. Make sure that even for some of those folks that were incarcerated, that I talked to one guy that had been incarcerated for a number of years, but still doesn't have a GED, right? Let's make sure that folks, and again, this depends widely on on where you are and the access provided to some of these programs, but I think there's a greater recognition and acknowledgement that we need to focus on the reentry process for individuals so that after somebody serves their time, they're not put back in a, a position where, they're likely to recidivate. They're likely to commit another crime. Um, Joe, just to, just to
0: simplify that, things real quick. Um, can you, so what would your police force look like though? Is it changing? Are you demilitarizing them?
1: Yeah. Look, I think without question, we, um, we need to, uh, demilitarize, right. Um, uh, we've seen, you know, uh, these examples obviously across, uh, the country where, um, In regard to to, uh, response to protesters, we've seen uh, folks that are, um, police forces that have uh, come in heavily armed, and I don't think, I don't think that is the appropriate response. Now, obviously, again, police officers got to protect themselves, right? And so um, we're not saying, I'm not saying that the police officers do a a dangerous job, Um, but um, we got to, we have to start to put in place the, the right personnel and the right policies and procedures so that you're building confidence there. Uh, and trust within those communities, um, not um, uh, not with um, uh, programs and allocation of funds that end up leading to um, confrontation and, and challenge.
0: I hear you. It's totally left turn curveball here, but when you were growing up, did you always envision yourself like becoming successful at this level? Was it always something you kind of had seen for yourself or?
1: no. No, listen, I, um, you know, I grew up, off Be like a hundred,
0: be like a hundred percent with me because some people just, when they're, they just know they're going to like make something of themselves.
1: No, I, I, um, look, I was an engineer in college. I, um, most of my classmates ended up going into, um, consulting jobs or consulting work or working on wall street. Um, I didn't want to do that. I went off to the peace corps. I came out of that. I wanted to do more academic development work. Um, uh, and, I did some more of that I got burned out on it uh, a bit I, I did a lot of legal aid work when I was in law school and I loved I loved being in a courtroom um, and I loved the, the, the promise of a justice system to try to actually um, address concerns of uh, a community um, and you see how the system works and you see how the system doesn't and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it doesn't um, but the power that the law has to actually address those concerns and um, and help people um, get a fair shake. And um, from that I, I continued my work as in the courtroom as a, as a prosecutor and again you saw the system works and you saw it didn't. And that was really where my focus on mental behavioral health and, and addiction came from because I saw every single day how we criminalize mental behavioral illness. Um, and um, that at a certain point, you you can't, you realize pretty quickly, you're not going to prosecute your way out of that problem. You need structural change and you need systemic change and you need to make sure we're not, um, you need structural change and systemic change and you need to make sure that we're not, um, you're not just throwing people in jail who are sick. And that's what, um, if you're talking about the structures there, that's laws and that's what, that's what lawmakers are supposed to do.
0: Now, obviously you're totally driven by giving back to people and I get that, but there was no seed in your mind growing up. You're like, you know, it'd be really awesome to be a popular politician one day. That was never something that you were into or like, I would love to see uh, my name and lights type thing.
1: <laughs> name and lights, no. Um, name and
0: lights has never, never I mean, dude, news. I'm yeah. just saying like growing up, like I've always wanted to be successful. Like some people just, they have a seed in them since a young age well listen
1: I, I mean obviously i um I always wanted to be able to uh to make a contribution and i um but I think you know look from a family of, of folks that have i think contribution um, i'm aware very aware that there's different ways that people can make that contribution some choose to do it. Hey, um,
0: you know, I'm I losing know. you a little bit. You're better now. Joey Buckets with the Western Mass Service. Can you hear me? Nothing like driving through the sticks. So, for all the dead time right now, anybody tuning in? Hey, guys. Yeah, Joe, can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can. Um, sorry, we're uh, again out in Western Massachusetts, so the signal isn't always great.
0: Uh, You're in the you sticks, dude.
1: Uh, it is here. a beautiful day out here, and we're stopping by a place where you get to pick your own blueberries. So, how about that? Um, nice.
0: That's going to be some great the, content for the Twitter.
1: There, there you go. Um,
0: Hey, no. I, let me just segue because I know we have like we have five minutes real quick. Um, yep. So what what's the status of the new stimulus package? I have a lot of friends who have been receiving the unemployment benefits and some rightfully so some are hitting foot locker to go buy new Jordans with the 600, which is obviously an abuse of the system. Where are things at and what do you think we should do right now?
1: Uh, the stimulus package is basically uh, the negotiations are um, are ongoing, but um, they're not nearly as far along as they should be. Look, the house passed a stimulus package literally about two months ago, and the Republicans sat on it for last week. Uh, we finally got it, and they're not really willing to engage. Um, I just spoke to our leadership a, a moment ago before I hopped um, on this call with you, and about all business owners across our Commonwealth um, over the course of the past several weeks, they're really concerned about loss of these benefits because, you know, if you're you own a small local restaurant, if folks all of a sudden can't make ends meet. They're not exactly going to go out and buy buy a meal at your, uh, at your restaurant. It's that additional flexibility that is actually keeping much of the other money flowing through the system. And, you know, there's, uh, I think, without question, families are in dire need of relief. We are looking at the potential for an entire tsunami of uh, of evictions that, that could uh, ripple across Massachusetts and the country. Um, people need help. And we've got to make sure uh, the federal government is the only uh, entity that actually can provide those resources at the moment. we got to make sure that they get them. The consequences now, of not doing this can be absolute disastrous.
0: I, I totally, I'm totally with you that people need the aid, but some people, like in most situations where you're trying to help people out, it's created kind of a vacuum. Do you think it's created like a disincentive for people to get back to work who were initially not totally pumped on working?
1: Look, I, I don't think it's an issue where folks that weren't, I a lot of folks who were working, um, aren't working, uh, obviously aren't now. And there's, um, I've talked to business owners that have, have indicated this is, that they've struggled to get some people back to work. I do think that on the whole, if we look at this from a way to inject money into an economy to keep the economy afloat versus now all of a sudden taking all of that away. Look, when, when people can't go back to work when we're seeing economies and states have to take a step back from reopening because this administration has screwed up the public health response so badly you take this away you're going to see economies crater and if the administration had actually engaged
0: Joey buckets with the service losing you again man joe okay just for anybody tuning in um Joe is in Western mass and the cell service is pretty terrible. It's like a different part of the state, which is like a totally different world. And, and we just lost him because of service for everybody who tuned in. Thank you. Sorry. That was cut short. I think we got a solid like 18 to 22 minutes with Joe Kennedy, the third, and we're hoping we came through with some value for people. We talked a little bit about his ideal police force. We, discussed what his day-to-day has been like we're transitioning into the unemployment and he also talked about a little bit about why he wants to do what he's doing and if he visualized his success so it was short it was abrupt hopefully we can get more value from it eventually hopefully we can reconnect with him before the election but the election is on september 1st so take that as you will and run with it, man. Thank you guys for watching. And I'll just end the old zoom ski right now.